0: Welcome to the Church in the Graveyard podcast. The Book of Romans is truly one of the high peaks of the Bible. It is an intimidating mountain to climb, but the view from the top is well worth it. In the first four chapters, we hear that all have sinned, but the Apostle Paul takes us to the heart of why Jesus is such good news. We discover that his gospel changes everything about how we see the world. It means peace peace. It promises holiness, it beckons us to freedom, and it calls for love. For more information and audio content, please visit us at neac.com.au.
1: going to hear the scriptures read and taught to us now. So if you'd like to join me in prayer before we read the Bible. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We ask that this evening you give us ears to hear you clearly and hearts to respond in faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Hi, my name's Maddie, and I'll be doing the first Bible reading this evening, and that is Psalm nineteen in the Church Bibles, that's on page five hundred and forty-one. Psalm nineteen, starting at verse one. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. They may not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.
1: second Bible reading is from Romans chapter 1, which is found on page 1112 of the Red Bibles, and it begins at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them.
2: Let me pray as we come to look at that rather challenging passage this evening. Father God, we come before you, and we come before your word, and we ask that it would speak to us. We ask that, um, as we look at it together tonight, that you would give us grace, that you would give us an understanding of your word, and that our lives might be transformed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, you heard Andrew speaking about the first first 17 verses of chapter 1. It was a a wonderful picture, a beautiful picture of what is to come. It was kind of like Andrew took us to the edge of a mountain and showed us what was ahead, the beauty of what Romans would unfold. Uh, We heard things like, grace and peace to you from our Lord and Father, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful words. We heard of Paul saying things like, First, I thank my God for you through Jesus Christ because of your faith and the fact that it's being reported throughout the world. We heard the wonderful news in verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. Such enriching and uplifting words. Wonderful, wonderful words. And yet, as you've just heard in the passage that was read, we are now going to plummet into darkness. In fact, we're going to plummet into darkness for the next couple of weeks. It's like we've been painted this beautiful picture, but now we have to go down into the valley. And we're all going down into the valley. And it's a valley that's not very pleasant. In fact, as we look through this passage tonight, your reaction might be one of, "Ah, oh, I, I don't like what it's saying. I, I don't like the way it's speaking. Well, if you have that reaction, you'll be joining almost everyone who's heard this passage before, down through the ages. Because this passage is confronting. It confronts us with what God demands of us. And that's not pleasant. It challenges every person in every age, in every time. There are things in this passage which people react to in every age, at every time. So come with me as we look at this passage and start to think about what Paul has to say. And as he says it, remember this. When the darkness is really dark... It makes the brightness really bright. If you see how dark things are, you can see then how bright things are. And that's in fact what Paul is doing. He's helping us understand how dark things can get so that we will see the relief of God's grace and love in an even greater way. So come with me to... Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And we're stuck on my presentation. We're still stuck. Ah, there we go. As you can see, we're going to step down. Okay, so come with me to Romans chapter 1, um, verse 18. Paul continues in his conversation. Uh, you notice there in your passage, the wrath, it sounds like it's starting something new. In fact, he continues. He says in uh, verse 17, the righteous will live by faith for, continuing the conversation, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, let's look at a couple of those words there that godlessness is actually a rejection of God. Uh, a failure to acknowledge God's right. A failure to acknowledge God is there. A godlessness. The wickedness is kind of like an injustice. So godlessness and injustice of people uh, it has to do with the way we treat one another. The way we treat those around us. And Paul is saying here, God's wrath is being revealed on all those who reject God and all those who who are unjust in their behavior. Now, we often don't talk about the wrath of God because it feels very, very uncomfortable. The idea that God is angry with us is not pleasant. It's quite confronting. In fact, we like to turn away from it. We like not to talk about it. It's not very popular to talk about the anger of God. And yet in some ways there is actually something hopeful about it. I I know that sounds strange, but I was thinking recently about the situation in Syria where people have been subject to chemical warfare. Now you and I know people are trying to do something about that. They're trying to fix up the situation. They're trying to, to make a difference there. But you and I also know that in reality, not every injustice will be addressed. There will be innocent people who have been harmed, been killed, and people will not be brought to justice for what they've done. There will be a failure of justice. What this verse tells us is that God, in his wrath, in his anger, sees all injustice. So actually, it's important to have a just God. A God who gets angry with godlessness and wickedness. Because he'll actually deal with all those things we can't deal with. Our world can't deal with. Our world deals with so imperfectly. What's interesting here, though, is not only is God's wrath revealed, but it's being revealed. Now, the sense here is that it's an ongoing revelation. It kind of reminds us of the Old Testament. You might remember God revealed his wrath against Pharaoh and the people of Israel were let go. God revealed his wrath against Jerusalem and Hosea and Amos because of the ways that they were behaving. It's suggesting that there is an ongoing revelation of God's wrath at this time. And God is revealing his wrath against all those who are godless and all the injustice that is being done. Well, as we go through the passage, what we'll notice is that Paul continues to refer to this godlessness first. And that, in fact, is where he takes us in the very next verse. And he explains to us why there is a godlessness or why it's happening. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, Because God has made it plain to them. In other words, people are rejecting God. God has made himself plain, but they're rejecting him nonetheless. He continues with the argument. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, actually, the difficulty we have with this verse very often is the without excuse bit. We want to provide excuses for people. We want to say, well, has God really revealed himself to everyone? Is he really clearly seen and understood by everyone? Is that really... Like, what about this person? What about that person? What about this situation? Has God really revealed himself? Is God really known in that situation? And I guess we have to make a decision at this point. Is God trustworthy? Does he actually say what he means? If he said that people can clearly see him and he can be understood and that people are without excuse, is he right? Now, you may also ask, I know it's a complicated area, in what sense has God been clearly seen and understood? How, can, how might we understand that in terms of when we look around our world? Well, I want to suggest kind of some ways forward. They don't cover everything, but I, I guess they give us a way of thinking about these things. And I guess I'd want to say that I trust God. I, I actually believe that he says that he reveals himself, uh, that he can be clearly seen, and that you and I are without excuse, and that very often the reason we're asking for excuses is because we want to avoid the inevitable, that God actually says, we are without excuse. But what are some of the ways that God is clearly seen and understood? Well, let's have a look. That is a great picture from the Hubble telescope. I mean, aren't we amazing to be able to build a telescope, send it into space, capture pictures like this? Actually, we had to fix up the Hubble telescope as well, didn't we? We had to send further people up to fix it up, and they fixed it up. Amazing feat of science. But actually as you think about it think about it god created the people who thought this up who then sent the hubble telescope into space and then was able to take pictures of the universe that look like that pictures of the universe that is so large that are so large that's so large that we wouldn't even appear as a speck in that picture God is making himself plain. We really have no excuse. This is an extraordinary universe that we live in. Of course, you can scale it down. I remember once speaking with a surgeon and he turned to Christianity and one of the reasons he turned to believe in Jesus was because as he conducted his surgery, he looked at the human body. And under the microscope, he saw all kinds of different things taking place. And over time, he just went, there has to be a God. This is, this is so amazingly designed, this body. This is incredible. I need to go looking. And so he did, and he became a Christian because he saw that God was making himself plain and understood. Now, other times people have said to me, well, what about those people who live overseas who are perhaps not hearing about God? You know, the God we talk about. Perhaps a tribe somewhere. Would they hear? Well, I guess, once again, I trust God. But I want to give you one example, one little example of something I've heard and actually experienced. This is a picture of a group of people. Most of them are from the Kayan tribe in Sarawak, Malaysia. Uh, The white people there are my parents. That was my church behind behind there. You can see no walls. It was kind of nice and uh, airy. Uh, they were members of a Bible school, but they came from the Kayan tribe. One day, my mum got speaking to one of the members of a Kayan tribe uh, who were living at a place called Long Nakan. Long just means like a little village. And at Long Nakan, there lived this man called Taman Laha Anyi, which just means father of Anyi. And they got talking and they said, so how come your village responded so quickly to the, to the love of Jesus? And this man said, well, my grandfather told us that there would be someone coming to tell us about a God that we should follow. Now, his grandfather died before that person arrived. But when that missionary arrived on the doorstep to tell them about Jesus, they went, we know. We knew there was something else. We've already been told there was someone coming to tell us about a God, and we believe. Now, I'm not saying that happens for everyone. I'm not saying that at all. But I guess I'm saying God works in mysterious ways, in wonderful ways, in ways that you may not expect. And I believe it when he says that he reveals himself. Earlier this week, you might have seen this um, picture associated uh, on Facebook associated with the story about young brides being married, married in Yemen, brides as young as eight. When I first read the story, I was horrified, as no doubt you are. The thought of young girls being married at that age to men. How can that be? That's just terrible. And right there, I think we have a sign that God is at play, that God has an impact on our world. You know, in every culture, and every tribe, and every nation, people sense there's something wrong and right. Now, there may be different wrongs and rights in terms of the way what people believe things. I'm, I, agree, I can see that people in Yemen, in this particular tribe, are, are thinking that it's okay and we disagree. But the very fact that we have a conscience that responds to right and wrong is actually really important. It tells us something about our universe, about our world. Something's happening there. Now, as it turns out, this picture has nothing to do with brides in Yemen. Uh, The Snopes site said, actually, that's a bunch of young girls standing next to their uncles uh, for a wedding in the Middle East. These girls are not getting married. They're just like bridesmaids. And we go, oh, oh, okay. Okay. Once again, our sense of justice and justice is working again. How come these men were pointed out as marrying young brides? That doesn't seem fair. These were quite innocent men in that sense. So, once again, our consciences are working. And I guess what we're just learning there is that God has imprinted on us a sense of right and wrong. It points to the fact that there is a God in, in this universe. And so there's lots of evidence that God exists And that he's there. What may be known about God is plain to them. So we are without excuse. Well, as we continue through the passage, what Paul then does is he continues to refer to this idea that we are godless, but then he shows the impact of the godlessness. And he says, godlessness means that God eventually gives us over to something. And then he describes what he gives us over to. And he does this three times throughout the passage. He talks about how we are godless. Then he talks about how God gives us over to, in his wrath, in his anger, to something else. Now, this God giving over bit is actually pretty disturbing. You, You might have observed parents wandering around with children and Sometimes as the parents wander around, their children just kind of wander off into the distance and kind of get themselves into, into trouble, you know, mucking around somewhere off. And the parent suddenly notices and goes over. At first you might think, oh, God gave them over to you. It's a bit like God saying, oh, well, you just wander your own way then. You know, if you're going to go that way, why not wander that way? In actual fact, the picture's a slightly different one, far more disturbing It's a bit like God is holding on to us and then he passes us over. It's actually a bit more deliberate than that, than the wandering off. And I find that extremely disturbing. I don't know about you, it's hard to kind of think about that. But I said, this is going to be a dark passage and and that's what it is. Well, come with me then to verse 21 and see what it says and, and watch this pattern unfold as we go. For although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Failure to recognize God, failure to follow God, failure to um, put God in his rightful place. But their thinking became futile, or actually vain is another word you could use, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, the picture here is God's glory has been exchanged for worshipping other idols, for worshipping things like birds, animals and reptiles. Now, I imagine in your house you don't have a shrine to a bird, animal or reptile. Um, although some of you may, depends on which culture you've grown up in. Uh, It may be possible. But for most of us, I think we probably don't have those kinds of idols within our house. So how can we think about this together? What kind of idols might we worship? Well, Miroslav Wolf, in his book, Free of Charge, puts it like this. Our hearts have become factories of idols in which we fashion and refashion God to fit our needs and desires. The way we go about creating idols is we create God or gods to fit our needs and desires. So it's a bit more abstract, but we still worship at the feet of other things. Rather than God. Now, I've been thinking about this for Australian society in general. What kind of things do we worship as a nation? And I was reminded of a quote um, from Prime Minister John Howard. Do you remember him? He kind of was a Prime Minister a little while ago now. And George Malouche did a, an interview with him about his leadership and, and what actually took place. And this is what John Howard said about Australia he said, the role of a, deme- or about his role, the role of a democratic leader is in to ensure that the bad does not inflict the mass, mass population who generally seek only to lead quiet, comfortable and prosperous lives. Now, I reckon that's a pretty good summary of the idols of Australian culture. We want to live quiet, comfortable and prosperous lives and we want to keep the bad out. I think that actually gives us some insight into why people have reacted in the way that they have to asylum seekers. You see, asylum seekers are bad. That's what we're told. They may affect our quiet, comfortable and prosperous lives. They may even take away from our quiet, comfortable and prosperous lives. And so we feel threatened and we reject people on that basis. Of course, the truth is a Christian person is not called to leave a quiet, comfortable and prosperous life. The Christian person is called to take up their cross daily and follow Jesus, to take risks and to be generous. A completely different picture. Now, as I've spoken, I've spoken kind of about our general society and you might think, oh, actually, that's not the kind of thing that I want. That, that describes my parents really well. But actually, I'm trying to escape that. I I don't want. That's not what I want for my life. I want it to be a bit different. I wonder what we would idolise in an area like this. Of course, there could be many things. But as I thought about it, I thought actually, the right to be who you are is idolised. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that image, and your own image, and expressing your own image is really, really important. The way you wear your hair, the kind of clothes, the labels that you wear, the labels that you don't wear, the One Direction T-shirt that you would never put on. We are very concerned about image. And actually, moving from the suburbs, as I've done, that's one of the things that struck me. How concerned people are about their image, or non-image, as the case may be. There is this great angst, Around about how I look and how I might come across. There's the right to be who you are in terms of your own beliefs. You can hold whatever belief you want to, as long as it doesn't affect someone else, doesn't hurt someone else. Whatever belief you want to, that's fine. You hold it. You you decide yourself, but as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. I heard that time and time again. You can behave the way that you want to. In fact, don't question other people's behaviour. Because that's really just a, a, a kind of a, an insight into who you are and you're just being yourself. You can act in whatever way you want to. And, and you can self-identify in terms of what kind of sexuality you want as well. And so there's this, this whole kind of question of our identity and the right to express our own identity. And I think that actually is a bit of a sacred cow. It's one of those things that we defend the right of everyone to have. And perhaps is one of those idols in this community. The Bible, of course, has a lot to say about this idol, but it says something completely different, doesn't it? It says you are created in the image of God, not yourself. Your beliefs are to be formed by what God has to say. Your actions are to be formed by him and your self-identifying comes from him. Completely different worldview, and you could see why those two worlds collide. One is about recognising God and the other is about saying, no, actually I'm the one who determines those things. I think that's something to do with the idols in our lives. Well, what happens when we... Our worship at that idol. God says, uh, Paul says here, something about the desires of our heart. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Here's this giving over. This is God letting us go in one particular direction. Now, I don't think there's any particular sexual behavior in mind here but just general sexual behaviour, which is outside what God intended. It's like he hands us over to our desires and to our passions. I kind of like the way St. Augustine approaches this uh, um, in, in the Confessions. He talks about crazy loves, and, and this is one way of describing those crazy loves. He says, And what was it that delighted I delighted in but to love and to be loved? But out of the muddy desires of the flesh and the bubblings of youth, mists fumed up which beclouded and overcast my heart that I could not discern the clear brightness of love from the fog of lustfulness. You can see the journey he's taking, can't you? He's saying, I want to be loved. I want to be someone who's, who's delighting in love. But as I've loved and as I'm delighting in love, I've gradually felt myself moving into a different area. And now I'm just a bit confused as to whether this is lustfulness or love. And I think that's how kind of handing over works. It moves us away from what God intended. As we lose touch with what God has called us to be and do, as we lose touch with the creator of the universe, we move away from his intended purposes. Well, the same pattern is repeated in the next verses. Uh, We see in verse 25, we'll read it again. They exchange the truth of God... For a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever to be praised. Once again, we see the pattern of godlessness. The truth has been exchanged for a lie. The truth that God exists, the truth that God has a claim on our world and our lives, has been exchanged for a lie that says that God doesn't have those things. And what do we read? We read, God hands them over once again. Because of this, God gave them over. Now, the next bit is the really challenging bit of this passage in our context. It says he gives them over to shameful lusts. And Paul goes on to talk about same-sex attraction. And we'll read it in a moment. But can I say before we go there, I realize how sensitive... This issue is Uh, we may have friends family who are same-sex attracted and to read these words just is devastating Uh, For some this just sounds bigoted For others they're horrified that the Bible would speak this way And I get that I, I hear that and I also get that churches have been terrible in this area in the past We as a church will make every effort not to be like that. But this is what the word of God says. And I believe I'm called to say it. And I'm called to read it to you. And this is hard. I know it's hard. It's painful. But God says he hands them over to shameful lusts. And this is what we read. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in them the due penalty of their perversion. It's saying that same-sex attraction lived out is not what God intended. And it's saying that actually if you live it out, it's part of the wrath of God being revealed. Those are terrifying and difficult words. Now this passage is not only concentrating on these things. It actually has something to say to the whole of our society. And that's where Paul takes us next as we look at this passage together. Once again, we see the same pattern repeated in verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, once again, we have a picture of godlessness which leads to something else. He gave them over, there's that word again, to a depraved mind. So the knowledge of God is rejected. And God gives us over to a depraved mind. Well, what does a depraved mind look like? Well, you see that great list, Andrew read it out to us a little while ago, of all the things that are involved in a depraved mind. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. The list goes on and on. There are are a whole range of things there. Slanderers, gossips, insolent, arrogant, boastful, disobeying their parents, faithless, heartless, ruthless, ruthless. There's just just a whole lot of things that God gives people over to when they do not acknowledge Him. And if you like, if you look at that list, you can kind of categorise it into, into different areas of life. You can look at our world and say, actually, it's to do with economic disorder, with greed and envy. It's to do with social disorder. God gives us over to social disorder with murder and strife and deceit and malice. With family breakdowns. They disobey their parents with relational backgrounds, gossips, slanderers, insolent, arrogant, boastful. These are all evidences of people moving away from God, not recognising and not worshipping God. Character breakdown, senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. These are damning categories of our world. But it explains why our world spirals sometimes into a dark, dark place as it leaves behind the recognition of who God is. Because in Romans we read, God hands us over to these things since we did not acknowledge him. Well, the final question we have to ask this evening is, not how is this happening, but who is this aimed at? Who is this happening to? Our final verse in here in verse 32 reads this way. Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death and the idea is their immediate death, they not only continue to do these things, the very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. It's kind of a blanket statement and actually the blanket statement is aimed at all of us. There is not one person that this chapter is not aimed at here tonight. Told you it was going to be a dark valley. It is. There's no room for arrogance or pride or looking down at anybody else in this passage. There's no suggestion that I or you are better than anybody else. All it suggests is that our hearts are very, very, black and that we have not recognised our God in the way that he's called us to now we're we're down in that valley Uh, it looks bleak and it will look bleak for a little while but as I said at the beginning of the sermon there is a way out And it's a beautiful way. It's a wonderful way. It's a loving and gracious and hopeful way. But tonight, before we get there, let's examine our own hearts. Let us not be thinking of other people and what they're doing and what they've done. Let's let's actually just look at our own hearts and recognize what we've done, how we deserve a wrath, the anger of God, because of the injustice and godlessness of our own lives. Amen.